In this special mini episode of Birdcast, John and I talk some more with legendary comics illustrator and horror expert Stephen R. Bissett about the 1966 Hammer film The Witches and its legacy. And then we go into what Steve's doing these days. We hope you enjoy. Now, um, unusually for an episode of, 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 of Bird, oh yes, having having focused on, on on one particular thing at the request of our special guest, uh, and I said no, and he said go on then. And I said he said no, really, I want to do this, and I said oh for fuck's sake, what's the and he went, you know, I'm your first guest and do this as well. So I'm your first guest from America. And you know, I'm Stephen, I'm Stephen Bissett. Do you know who I am? I was like, that's a bit big-headed of you. Um, but in the end, in the end, I'll let him. So we've previously done an episode on the witches, known in America as the Devil's Own. Yes. Um, with uh, with Jonathan Rigby, uh, which we did live uh, at a Halloween event. Um, and then we it was yeah. our Christmas special. And then we released it as our Christmas special uh, a couple of a, a, a couple of months later. However, you had a particular interest, even in wanting to talk about that, which, in our infinite graciousness, we will we will allow you. Because if I'm right in saying you think that this is um, possibly the earliest example of a certain type of of subgenre of horror. Yes, and please. Please stop me if you did discuss this in your Christmas special, which I no, will beg you. To be I honest, will beg you for a link. To, oh, in, so to be honest, if, if we had, have, I'd, have, I'd have stopped you by You'd now. You'd have stopped me dead. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll back up a little then. Um, we're talking about the witches, which uh, uh, I only know from the Hammer film, which in America was called The Devil's Own. Um, I first saw it on CBS Late Night Movie. I did not see it in the theater when it came out. Um, there's no way at age uh, 11 I could have talked a parent into taking me to see anything <laughs> called The Devil's Anything. Um, and um, I uh, recently was revisiting one of my favorite contemporary horror films, which is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Right. And I had just seen The Witches. I had just rewatched the Anchor Bay DVD that came out here in the States about yeah. 20 years ago. Um, and I realized as Get Out was playing, oh my God, this is a conceptual reinvention of the witches, right? The whole premise is uh, characters who wish to extend their lives and they have figured out a means which in Get Out is semi-Frankensteinian surgery, semi-occult to actually uh, place their, uh, uh, the intelligence, the brain, a portion of the brain of the, the uh, parasitic white person into the host body of the black characters to extend their life. And that is pretty much what the lady of the manor, Stephanie Bax, the character played by Kay Walsh in uh, The Witches is all yeah. about. And that prompted me to go and find a copy of the original uh, novel that it was based on. Um, by Nora Lofts, is it? By Nora Lofts. And it, it's funny, I'll read you, I'm not going to read from the book, I won't put you through that. But this is the uh, 1966 pyramid, pyramid edition published in America. And on the cover it says, a find! Exclamation point. 
Nora Loss, writing under the name of Peter Curtis, provides a superb Gothic mystery, The Devil's Own. And I can't think of any book like this until Richard Bachman was added to Stephen King, where they would have put, and Nora Loft's name is huge, and the Peter Curtis pen name is of equal size. So rereading the novel, the character of Stephanie Bax doesn't even appear in the novel until the ritual at the end. So all of that stuff with Kay Walsh's character is from Nigel Neal. There is no reference to skinning the young sacrificial victim. There is sort of an, a vague reference to a silver belt. That's the only bit of occult reference in the novel where I guess we're supposed to divine that will be the means of rejuvenating this uh, older character who is kept uh, off out of the narrative completely until the last act when she presides over the ritual right. in the uh, deconsecrated church. But Nigel Neal, I mean, there's that terrific scene with Kay, Wal with Kay Walsh's character uh, where she refers to, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the only, she has the only existing copy of the works of Brother Johann, she says either Woodsworth or Woodsworth, I, I can't quite sort, which from the 14th century, and she says to Joan Fontaine's, you know, uh, gobsmacked protagonist, yes, it's what you think it is. And I have translated the rhyme. The rhyme does not appear in the book. Um, so Neil wrote this, grow me a doll with a golden down, cut me a robe from toe to lobe, give me a skin for dancing in. And Kay Walsh's character then says, of course it won't be pleasant and I loathe the idea of it, but it's the necessary ritual. My brain and my intelligence continuing into the 21st century. So she's talking about skinning the teenage character, Linda Rigg, played by Ingrid Brett, and donning her skin. <laughs> now, this get is- Get out. It's get out. And it's not only get out, but I backtracked. I've got a number of genre texts, as you can imagine, in my library. I, I backtracked not only through witchcraft films, but I also dug out that wonderful book that was written about 15 years ago about the making of the curse of the demon, uh, the night of the demon in the UK. Mm -hmm. And the BBC, uh, the uh, British um, uh, film board, the censors mm -hmm. would not allow images of satanic rites or even mention of satanic rites. And yet by 1965, when they were making the witches, Neil is the one who made that leap. And we suddenly, the only thing I could find, and again, I appeal to your listeners, um, uh, I, I take it, Neil may have divined it from Fraser's The Golden Bough, that that might've been the classical yeah. text that he was yeah. working from, but that rhyme does not appear in The Golden Bough. It wasn't in the edition I had in my library. Um, and it's- Margaret Say again? Margaret Murray as well, also. Like right, the, right. And, well. and and Montague Summers. I've got the Montague called. Summers books as well. Or a history of witchcraft. So. I don't believe that rhyme is in there. I think. No, Neil no, I'd be, I, 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 I always assumed that that was Nigel Neal's work. Well, it's very innovative because nothing like that was allowed on the screen before mm. in English speaking uh, uh, films involving witchcraft or the occult. Nothing even vaguely like it. There were rejuvenation 
narratives, but it was always via the vehicle of reincarnation, right? You go back to 1945, the woman who came back, the little low budget Republic uh, pictures release. And it's a woman who fears she's been reincarnated from a, a witch and more current to what Neil was doing, um, City of the Dead uh, with Christopher Lee. You know, you've got right. this coven and you know, you're never sure what the sacrifice is really about. <laughs> <laughs> because the younger characters are murdered for sacrifice, but it's not like they then pop up speaking in the voices of the old witch or something. It's never there until this character that Neil created. And there is no, uh, there is nothing like that character in the novel. She is, is like a cipher until she pops up leading the ritual at the end, only to be undone within about five pages. Um, and in a lot of ways, it reminds me uh, the dialogue that Neil wrote for her and the way that Kay Walsh plays the character in The Witches reminds me of Margaret Johnston's character, Flora Carr in Night of the Eagle from 1962. Yeah, okay. D different yeah, yeah. purpose, but a very yeah, yeah. similar character. She has that same kind of domineering yeah. presence. Once she drops the pretense of being the shy little faculty mm -hmm. wife and we finally see who she is and what she's about, and Kay Walsh like starts at that point yeah. <laughs> um, and takes it further. And, and uh, they refer to, uh, Nigel Neal refers to Lamas Tide, the Sabbath of August 1st, which we're coming yeah. up on very soon. Yeah. Um, but I can't find any film from anywhere in the world prior to that, that used that device. And in terms of our American culture, you'd have to go back to the crimes of Ed Gein in 1957 in Wisconsin, who was like, you know, grave robbing and skinning corpses and reportedly Making, wearing um, this nice household accoutrements out of them. Well. Yeah, exactly. But also wearing the skin reportedly of, you know, uh, he had, he had used his taxidermy skills to tan the skin of one of the women's bodies he had yeah. uh, assumed and would go out and dance in the moonlight wearing her skin. That's Which would eventually inspire the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. exactly. And Psycho before that, but without yeah. that component to it. Now, the reason I'm fascinated by this is it's not just the premise of Get Out, which also had a lot of correlations to Ira Levin's The Stepford Wives. When I first saw it, that was the, the sort of template that I recognized right off. This is one of those things where uh, neither is the witches or as the devil's own was this by any stretch of the imagination a hit motion picture this yeah. was not a widely seen movie but here's neil slipping this into the pop culture and then in 1971 we suddenly have these films where it's about covens possessing the bodies of younger people the mephisto waltz where it's not done organically the way that you know, Kay Walsh's character is describing where she's has this ritual knife and she is going to skin this young woman and don the skin. But it's the composer, an aging composer who's dying, wants to take over the body of Alan Alda, this skilled pianist. The same yeah. year here in America, we have the great Struther Martin, the character actor who appeared in many Sam Peckinpah movies, best known for his line from Cool Hand Luke, what we have here is failure to communicate. He plays the head of a witch's coven in a little New Mexican town in a movie called The Brotherhood of Satan, where the whole premise is the coven is taking over the bodies of children to reincarnate themselves. And this is just four years 
after the release of The Devil's Own in America. It's like once the notion entered the pop culture, it begins to blossom again. So well, what were you, you sort of positing is an entire subgenre of satanic body snatcher movies, basically. Pretty much. The begins they, here. And it begins, begins I here. think it begins with The Devil's Own. Uh, AKA spe spe specifically Nigel Neal's adaptation. Specifically Nigel Neal's, yeah. right, because it is not in the novel by Nora Loss. It is not in there. The reincarnation aspect is implicit. Right. And at no point does the novel spell out what the ritual is leading to, and we never get to see what it culminates in because as in Nigel Neal's adaptation, uh, the spinster character cuts her hand and taints the ritual with blood yeah. before it's supposed to be spilled in the ritual, yeah. which is as it is in the film. But the Nigel Neal makes it like explicit. She is going to skin this young woman. Um, it's also interesting that Neal does something that whether he chose not to make explicit in the film or that the censor didn't allow, Joan Fontaine's spinster character is probably a virgin. Yeah. So she's tainting the ritual with yeah, virgin's yeah. blood, yeah. you know. Um, I, I think is... I, the witch, was the witches. Am I right in thinking that witches was one of those films that Hammer actually would have thought would have wanted to present as more shocking than it actually was, though? Well, sure. I believe you're right, Howard, because uh, the nature of um, what was happening in the genre was accelerating beyond Hammer's reach so quickly, you know? But it's very interesting to me that, I mean, uh, many of us revere properly The Devil Rides Out, their Dennis Wheatley film. Yeah. But The Witches was the year before. This I think, is, but, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think it was seen as a vehicle for Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine came sure. to Hammer and said, and said, what about this? She had and, the right. You know, Exactly, yeah. Right yeah. Right. I don't think it's a thing Hammer would have gone to, gone to necessarily uh, themselves. But you know, having the opportunity that they could see they could do something with they could do something with this. Not um, only that, it fit. You know, I think in terms of the commercial uh, trappings of the time, they probably saw it as an extension of whatever happened to Baby Jane. Um, yes. You know, the kind of films they had already done with Betty Davis with the nanny, you know, so they saw it as, and jo here's Joan Fontaine, classic mm -hmm. Hollywood actress, yeah. best yeah. known for roles like Rebecca, where she was the poor put upon woman being gaslit, you know, Cary uh, Grant's going to poison her, you know, in the Hitchcock film that she did. My wife and I tried to watch a, a, a bunch of Joan Fontaine 1940s movies. We couldn't after the fourth one because they were all the same character. And it was like, we were so tired of her whining and, and whinging, you know. Um, of course, she, she makes, has this film made and then gets acted off the screen. Yeah, well, she's, exactly. Yeah, Kay Walsh, like. Kay Walsh, Walsh is amazing. <laughs> she takes that yeah. movie right away from her. Um, and I think that commercially it failed because it was neither fish nor fowl. It yeah. was not whatever happened to Baby Jane. It didn't even do as well as, you know, Joan Crawford was doing those awful Herman Cohen British films, uh, Berserk and Trog. Those did better than The Devil's Own did in America. Because it also does, it, yeah, it, it, it also the village is just a bit too bucolic and nice. Well, you, 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 don't feel, you don't feel the threat. I don't, the execution well, wait, 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 wait. Let's not forget, and we all do forget, and this is part of why when I went back to revisit the film, I had forgotten. We see Duncan Lamont skin a rabbit yep. 
on camera. Oh, yes. It's, you know, we are shown at the beginning of the film a butcher skin a rabbit in front of the customers. And that is Nigel Neal going, here's what they're going to do to Ling the Ring. <laughs> it, it, it is, but it doesn't stand out in the same way as, say, the uh, the villagers sweeping the crossroads at the beginning of Moraine. Because what, oh, are, they, what, right. what are they doing? Well, they're, they're, um, they're, they're guarding against witchcraft. Here, a butcher's doing something that a butcher can do, but less about the less about the, the, the signaling. But um, there's no other Hammer this, film that has on camera actual animal evisceration like that. Right. I mean, okay. it, it, it's not, I, I agree with you that it's ordinary in one way and it is something a butcher would do, which is probably what Neil said, I can get this in. They're going to be yeah, yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem. And, the, and you know, the BBFC wasn't going to object to it. No. And yet, I'm saying that in hindsight, it's a remarkably transgressive film. And it also sets the template that within four to five years, in the wake of Rosemary's Baby, the big hit that actually precipitated this wave of occult films, mm -hmm. we have the Mephisto Waltz, Brotherhood of Satan. Out of England, we have Nothing But the Night, the Christopher Lee mm -hmm. yeah, film. Awesome. And they all have the same narrative thrust of a witch's coven that, is, that covets the body of children in order to re reincarnate themselves. But none of those films are as explicit as what Neil proposes, right? They they all are still shying away. We haven't had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet, so skinning no. people and donning their skins is still off the table in terms of what the pop culture will tolerate. But that's, but that's still something different to this. That's here here we have a, 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 the motivation of uh, of life of furthering life rather than right. Right. Uh, and yeah, well, it's, it's really, I mean, I was, it was one of those films I was delighted to revisit in hindsight and go, holy shit. I mean, it, it didn't play to me as transgressive when I saw it as a teenager, but now I look back yeah. at it and I see how it has continued to resonate through Get Out was a big movie two years ago, you know, won an Academy Award for best screenplay. Five years ago. Five years ago. Thank you, Howard. Oh, oh my Jesus. God. Um, I know, right? Yeah, I know. We're all getting old. <laughs> and and yet, it's another one of those echoes from Nigel Neal's work that barely was heard, much less recognized. And when I look back, I can't find anything before the witches that went there. And I would happily be corrected if somebody can say, yes, there's this Danish film that <laughs> you were forgetting, <laughs> but I can't find it. Um, <clears throat> There no, I'm trying to think of... of an Italian movie because if it was going to happen, it was going to be in an Italian movie, but I can't think. Mario sure Bava, Mask of the Demon with Barbara Steele, but it's the reincarnation yeah. theme again, right? So it's posited yeah. as like a vampire witch theme, but there's none of this organ, there's none of this gross pagan butchery. That's, and it's, that's it's, it's about exploitation. And I think that is a theme that Neil particularly comes back to the exploitation of the vulnerable, um, whether it's poorer people, whether it's working people who are down on their luck, economically vulnerable people, which you get, you could, you could actually draw a line back to Quatermass 2, for instance. Yes, yes, I agree completely. As well, because that's the exploitation of the vulnerable, the seizing of bodies and things. And he draws that and makes it more explicit in terms of a sort of economic um, metaphor um in one way metaphor. in one way it's more explicit in another way 
uh, now that you've said it, I mean, the comfort that the villagers have with what the factory is that's being built um, mm -hmm. in Quatermass 2 is not that different from the hermetically sealed village life that is protective of Kay Walsh doing this ritual. It's also, unfortunately, yeah. one of the elements that's laughable to audiences today. I mean, you know, one of the problems with the film in 1966 when it played is the same problem it has now, which is you get to the orgiastic ritual and it... It's the, sad, the saddest orgy ever seen on screen. <laughs> and, yeah. yet, and yet they're spreading like fecal matter on themselves. I mean, it's quite gross in terms of. It's, it's like it's like how is it how is it so sedate when they're covering themselves with poop? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't see that again until we get to the Italian cannibal movies in the early '80s and late '70s. Yeah, 20th Century Fox didn't know what the hell to do with the Devil's Zone, right? No. John Fontaine wasn't a big name anymore. Um, what was um, uh, not very appealingly called hag horror by one of the monster yeah, magazines did, yeah. had kind of had hadn't completely run its course but it was considered distasteful by the mid-60s and 20th century fox didn't know what to do with quatermass in the pit they called it five million years to earth they did a great promo campaign it's a fantastic title they didn't know how to sell it though you no. know it's like uh it, if if it had come out on the heels of 2001 a space odyssey it might have done very well because that was the cultural shift with science fiction. Okay, so the final, uh, the okay. final bit before we go is uh, Stephen. Is there yeah. anything you particularly would like to would like would, would like to plug? It seems I mean uh, sometimes you know it depends on the level people have new books out. It seems slightly patronizing in a way to have a highly established artist and writer uh, <laughs> well, to, to to plug their stuff. But hey, um, bring I can it only on. Ask. Bring it on. Uh, okay, I'll mention one book that I want to steer your listeners to if they're interested. The only book I have found that discusses the witches in any detail, and they don't discuss what we just talked about, um, is A Skin for Dancing In, is the title of the book, quoting the Nigel Neal poem. Uh, the subtitle is Possession, Witchcraft, and Voodoo in Film. It came out in 2001 from Flick Books. It was written by Tanya... Ker I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Kurzawinska. Um, and I sent you a link for the PDF. Uh, Tanya decided since the book was hard to print and hard to find, um, she put up a PDF on her website so you can legally steer your listeners to it if they want to read. Uh, we should read that. Yeah. And, but she misses this point. And I think part of it is uh, the films I mentioned, they're pretty low level films. You know, Mephisto Waltz, Brotherhood of Satan, Nothing but the night. None of those were big, you know, they're not the exorcist, but Get Out is the exorcist for a 21st century audience. And I think in retrospect, she might have paid different attention to it. Um, in terms of my work, uh, you know, the Swamp Thing uh, work is still in print. Uh, DC has put out these giant, lavish, $100 absolute editions of the collaborative work that I did with Alan Moore. John Tolliban, Rick Beach, um, and, and the others that we worked on that series with. In terms of my work, um, I am very proud of the fact I contributed uh, an essay to uh, We Are the Martians, Neil yeah. Snowden's book on Nigel Neal. So I have to mention that to your listeners. Um, and I'm revising that essay uh, right now. Ah, there it is, We Are the Martians. And that came out from PS Publications, and I've continued working with PS Publications. Um, 
in the past year, uh, they've put out two books I had a hand in. Uh, I wrote the Midnight Movie Monograph for PS Publications' Electric Dreamhouse imprint, which Neil Snowden was the editor of as well. And I did a massive 700-page book on David Cronenberg's The Brood. From you did a 700-page book just on The Brood? Just on The Brood. Because when I watch, if I experience a graphic novel, a film, a, a record album, uh, it it all these cultural uh, and pop cultural things kind of, you know, explode in my head. And this book is one of the two books I've ever written where I'm really trying to chart that out. And the brood you, you was could a, get 700 pages out of the brood. I think it's a brilliant movie. I, I mean, love it. I think it's a brilliant movie, and and it's um, not movie, but it's brilliant. It is, and it also very much is tied in with. Um, the culture that Cronenberg was working from. I mean, I'm sure it's in the news in England, the discovery of all these uh, um, secret burial grounds for First yeah. Nation children that the Catholic Church had basically swept under the carpet. The brood was tying right into this Canadian legacy of the church and um, orphanages and mental health care for uh, younger people. And um, uh, in fact, the French title was Clinic of Terror in Quebec. Clinic <laughs> of um, Terror. And I also did, I'm also one of the co-authors of a fiction book I'm very proud of uh, that PS Publications pu published last year called Studio of Screams. And it's by one of, uh, it, was, it was inspired and initiated by one of the writers I consider an heir of Nigel Neal, which is Stephen Volk, the man who wrote Ghostwatch. We've had Stephen Volk on the podcast. Oh, I, Stephen, you know, Stephen had the idea, which he shared with his novelist friend, Mark Morris, and I know Mark, um, that they should do a book that was in the style of those um, Hammer paperbacks where there would be four novelizations of four Hammer films, right? They did one that had the Curse of Frankenstein, the Gorgon, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, um, but they would invent a British motion picture studio that doesn't exist. And Stephen Volk came up with the name Blythewood Studios as this imaginary movie studio. And yeah. they invited um, Tim Levin and Christopher Golden to join them. And each of those four novelists wrote an original novella as if it was an adaptation of a British horror film from the 60s, early 70s. And then they thought, well, we should tie this together. And Chris Golden, who's a close friend of mine said, well, we need Bissette. And my job was to take Stephen Volk's concept of Blythewood Studios and create a fictional universe in which Blythewood Studios existed. So I ended up writing the framing story. Um, so I, I wrote the moon mission that Nigel Neal wrote <laughs> for, for First Man the Moon. I did it for Studio of Screams. Amazing. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I did it as a complete self-contained horror story that frames their four horror stories. So Studio of Screams. Um, and I have a new book that I just delivered to my uh, book designer, Kim Paxton. Uh, Cryptid Cinema, The Boggy Creek Bequest. It's an entire book dedicated to the 1972 uh, independent American film, uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, the first Bigfoot movie that was a hit. Um, and uh, like the brood book, uh, it's probably way too much about one movie, but welcome <laughs> to my world. way too much about one movie. <laughs> welcome to my world. Well, give, uh, us the, give, us the, give us the links to those and we'll stick them on the website when we launch the episode. Excellent, excellent. Yes, indeed.
So that's so, what I've got new. That's what I've got new out there. That's brilliant. Um, for our first for our first transatlantic guest, we couldn't have asked more. And I think this is genuine. It's been a genuinely groundbreaking episode. It's been wonderful. Yeah, S- Stephen Bissett, thank you very much. Thank you so Howard, much, Howard. John, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And John, uh, uh, special thanks to you because I met you before I met Howard. So I have to extend that courtesy of, of uh, <laughs> extra thank you. If I can ever be of use again, don't hesitate to ask. One thing Stephen didn't mention was his new sketchbook, Thoughtful Creatures, which you can find on Amazon right now. Thanks once more to Stephen Bissett for his time and generosity. In the next episode of Birdcast, we're entering the world of three-cornered hats, sails and broadsides for a look at the Nigel Neal scripted classic HMS Defiant, with special guests Professor Melanie Williams and Dr Mark Fryers. Birdcast is an independent production, presented and edited by John Deere and me, Howard David Ingham. Thanks for listening. <laughs>